We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today in our Bibles. We're going to take a bit of a break from Mark's gospel for today so we can just really focus in on our mission's involvement as a church and how we do it and why we do it the way we do it. And I think it's always good to have that reminder. So good to see you today. Good to have guests. Isn't it good to see Shelly walking around? It's a blessing, isn't it? I mean, she can't even tell the way she walks. Did anything happen? Not quite that good, but it's doing good. We're thankful for it. So thankful for it. God is good. Amen. You know, in our missions conference, uh, we were challenged about something that all of us are already familiar with, and that is our biblical responsibility to take the gospel to the world. It's an awesome responsibility. And you cannot read the Bible with an open mind without seeing it. It doesn't just mention it once or twice. It's throughout the scriptures. It's even in the Old Testament. God's love for reaching people who are, who are sinners and need help. We certainly see it in the New Testament. But how we do that as a church is, uh, is an important detail. And uh, this text we're going to look at. And 1 Corinthians uh, gives us one of numerous examples of this pattern in the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 16, if you'd find that chapter, and we're going to read just the first four verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And if you're able to stand one more time, would you stand with us as we read the scripture and then have prayer? Now I want you to really pay attention to the words as we read them because we'll be looking at them in detail and kind of breaking them up in parts. But 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter basically is devoted to this wonderful doctrine of the Lord's resurrection. A whole chapter, a lengthy chapter about the indisputable evidence that Jesus raised from the dead. So he, he starts a completely different subject in chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, see, he starts a, he's going to talk about something unrelated to the resurrection there. Now concerning the collection for the saints. And it's not collection from the saints, collection for the saints. Amen. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters them will I send to bring your liberality, your generous gift, unto Jerusalem. That's where their money is going to go, in this case, to Jerusalem. And verse 4, and if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Let's pray as we begin. Father, again, we pray for your guidance, Lord, for your help as we give our attention to this passage of Scripture. Thank you for what we're experiencing today. We're experiencing what we read about, gathering on the first day of the week, worshiping you in one of your churches. 
And so, Lord, may the Spirit of God work in our hearts today. Help us not to come to the passage feeling like there's nothing more for us to learn about this subject, but come with open minds and hearts. And may you have your way in our lives, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we'll look at this passage, and there's several things I want to bring out about it. First of all, we're going to look at the context. What is he talking about in this passage, and what is the setting that Paul is writing about? Paul is writing this epistle to one of the Lord's churches located in, in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a, a major city in what was then known as Achaia. It's just west of Athens, Greece now. But it was, the region was called Achaia. So we're going to look at the context. Then we're going to look at the cause. What were, they, what were they doing with this money that they're committing and talking about receiving and, and, uh, and, and really setting aside for Paul to get? And then third, the command. These three things are very clear in this passage, and all of them relate to this subject of our church and their involvement in mission. So let's begin by looking at the context. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Notice that phrase, to the churches. Who's writing this epistle? The Apostle Paul is. Who's he writing it to? The church at Corinth. And he says, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So Paul had given instruction to the to the Galatian churches, and now he says, I'm giving you the same instruction, the church at Corinth, that I gave to them. Now, this it brings up an interesting subject to me, and that is uh, this matter of churches and their uh, uniqueness or their similarities. Every church, and I've been, I've been in over 100 churches uh, in my ministry, in my life, so I'm somewhat familiar with churches. And so I haven't been a member of that many churches. I've only been a member of two churches, but I've been privileged to visit a lot of churches. And every church kind of has its own identity, its own personality, um, its own autonomy. That means every church is individually self-governing. But true churches share great similarities in their doctrine. Their doctrines should be the same. If it's a sound New Testament Church, And so I can say that because Paul said, I'm saying the same thing to you in Corinth that I said to the churches of Galatia. We're going to come back to chapter 16, but let me, let's look at this closer in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Go to the left a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. Just a few examples of what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 11:16 says, but if any man seemed to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. When he uses the plural word churches, he's saying none of, this, what you're talking about should not be true in any of the churches. None of the churches would agree with this. Go to the left a little further to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, For this cause have I sent you unto you, Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul said, I don't just teach one thing in one church, another thing in another church. I teach the same thing in every church. You see this pattern clearly brought out. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17. But as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every man, so let him walk. And notice this. And so ordain I in all the churches. What I'm saying to you, he says, I say in all the churches. And one last place. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So we have, we have five different um, references to the fact that all churches should believe and practice the same way. Isn't that an amazing thing to you? Because a lot of times people say, well, you know, this church believes this, this church believes that, this church does this, this church does that, but we're all really the same. No, Paul says these things ought to be true in all the churches based on the Bible. So, so we go back to 1 Corinthians 16. And he says, I, what I said to the churches of, of Galatia, I'm also saying to you these same things. And notice what he says to them in chapter 16 and verse 2. Upon the first day of the week. Now that's the first thing we notice is these new, for over 2,000 years now, these New Testament assemblies like ours have been gathering and assembling on the first day of the week. And I know there are people who want to kind of go back to the Old Testament and, and say that, you know, we're to worship on the seventh day of the week or the Sabbath. But that's not what the Bible says. They were all worshiping on the first day of the week. Now, that's not the only time they met. You know, in the book of Acts, we see that they met sometimes daily. But definitely on the first day. It's, that doesn't mean that we only worship God one day a week. We worship God every day. We thank God every day. We serve God every day we obey God every day but there's something special about the first day of the week a day what we're doing today I always think about this tradition we've been in for churches have been in for 2,000 years on the first day of the week sometimes in nice buildings sometimes in storefronts sometimes in homes sometimes in the open air but they're meeting on the first day of the week they're worshiping God they're praising the Lord, they're obeying God, they're serving the Lord. In the book of Revelation, when John the Beloved received the revelation, it says that he was on the Isle of Patmos and he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What was the Lord's Day? It was the first day of the week. It was a day to worship. I think it's worth mentioning. You know, our society has sort of lost their respect for the Lord's Day. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of people who profess to be saved, children of God that have lost their respect for the Lord's day. But we ought to honor the Lord in this way on the first day of the week. And so here we find that this is the context. It's to the churches who are assembling on the first day of the week. Now another thing we see in this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, if you're still there, is we see the, the vital role that churches play in the work of God. I feel sometimes when I say that that it doesn't need to be repeated because we've heard it so much, but it is important. The role of the churches on the first day of the week. What are they doing here? They're, they're assembling, they're worshiping, they're exhorting one another, they're fellowshipping. Obviously there's teaching and preaching going on, but they're planning and preparing for ministry outside of their own local ministry there in Corinth. They're, they're making plans for something they're going to do in a region far, far away 
from where they're located. We're talking about the, the role of the churches in the Lord's work. And, and this, if, if, maybe you're a guest or maybe you're kind of a new member. Maybe you never really thought through the importance of this subject. Because we live in a day when if you're not getting your doctrine from the Bible, you could be hearing a lot of stuff about churches. Churches are not important. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to go to church, all those kind of things. You can hear those kinds of things. But in the Bible, we see the role, the vital role of the Lord's churches. For one thing, God speaks in the Bible on most occasions to his people in the context of churches. If you think about that, seen in the Gospels, Jesus established a church. He commissioned the church. When the first missionaries were sent out in the Bible, they went about doing what? Planting churches, establishing churches. The, all the epistles that we love, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, uh, the, uh, what are these? These are letters written to churches, written to churches that people like us reading these letters could hear the revelation that God was sending them. If you look in the book of Revelation, there are seven specific churches mentioned, and God deals with each of those churches. So I'm just saying this passage here is consistent with everything else in the Bible in the context. It's to the churches. The Lord gave the Great Commission to the churches. And that's what we've emphasized this week. This role of taking the gospel to the world. To me, to me this is an established truth that the, the Lord gave the Great Commission to take the gospel to the world, to the church. And if that's true, then we have to take that seriously, right? As a congregation, we have to take that seriously. What does the Lord want us to do? Because the church is central um, to the support of evangelism and missions. It, just sort of incidentally, but it, but it fits in. Look in 1 Corinthians 16 where you already are. In the first four verses, he's talking about this special need that they're giving their funds to. But it looked a little bit further down in verse 5. Notice what it says. Paul writing again. He says, Now I will, say, I will come unto you, Paul says, when I shall pass through Macedonia, the region directly north of where Corinth was. I will come to you, for I do pass through Macedonia. Verse 6 says, And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you. I may stay the whole winter with you. That's what you always hope visitors say when they come to you. I just may stay the whole winter with you. Say. <laughs> Please say it ain't so. But anyway, he says that I'll abide in winter with you, verse 6, and he says that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. He said, I'm going to come see you. And then he says this, that you may bring me on my way wherever I go. Now, what does that phrase mean, bring me on my way? It means the church would help support the, the servant of God, the ministry of Paul, and help him on his way. Look a little further down in that passage, if you would, to uh, verse 10. Paul writes and says, Now if Timotheus come, Timothy, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Verse 11. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me. Now what does that phrase mean? Conduct him forth in peace. It means that you would help him with whatever expenses or costs that he has in getting from where you are to where I am. Now, it's an amazing thing to me. In, in 11 verses here, 
in chapter 16, we have three references to how the church is to be involved in supporting God's messengers. I mean, it's clearly in the scripture if you can see that. So, so what we're talking about is not foreign it's to the New Testament. It's New Testament structure. It's New Testament standards. It's the New Testament uh, plan. And so, so he's given these command to this church and about getting the gospel out, evangelism and missions and supporting the work of God ought to be a priority to every member of a New Testament church according to the Bible. You see that in the Bible, right? So, the, so we're talking about the context. The context is to the churches. Now what was the cause? Let's look at that for a moment. What were they talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Look in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. You ever heard anybody talk about the offering and called it a collection? <laughs> that's, that's the Bible words, the New Testament word. Concerning the collection for the saints. Now, in a nutshell, it was a special offering that was being received from the churches. The churches of Galatia, the church here in Corinth, and also churches in Macedonia for the saints. Now, what saints? Well, it tells us here in our text. Look down in verse 3. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Now, this is a whole other subject, but he's saying you get to approve the people you want to be responsible for taking this offering to Jerusalem. But what was the collection for the saints? It was for suffering believers. Not in Achaia, where Paul was writing the church at Corinth, but in Judea, in, in, in Jerusalem. There was a, these were hundreds of miles away. But these different churches are collecting a special offering for them. Hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians 16 and go to the left, to the very next book to your left, which is Romans, and look in Romans 15. Romans chapter 15 and verse 25. Romans 15, 25. But now I go unto Jerusalem. Paul is writing the believers there in Rome, in Italy. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. That was the cause. What was the, back to 1 Corinthians 16, what was, the, what was the context? It was to the churches. And what was the cause? It was for this special need. This was not their customary tithes and offerings to their church. This was, you know, this was something that they were going to pray about and do especially for this cause. They've been instructed, 1 Corinthians 16, to, to have, receive a collection on the first day of the week when they gather together, and that'll be sent to this special need. Now, in case you haven't noticed this or figured this out or heard this, this is really the pattern for what we call faith promise missions giving. It's taught clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. It's a special giving above our regular tithes and offerings, designated to a special purpose outside of our own congregation, 
and it's, it's seen here as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Special offerings given through the Lord's churches as they meet on the Lord's day, cooperating with other churches for God's work in other regions. Can you see that in the Bible? It's very clear. And I'm thankful uh, for our church that our church follows this New Testament pattern. I'm not saying that's the only way that a church could give to missions, but, it follow, but our giving, what we call faith promise, some churches we call it sometimes grace giving, but it follows this pattern. And, um, and by the way, the whole, the whole concept of churches cooperating together to, to, to support missionaries, for instance, it's a biblical way. And our church supports numerous missionaries from other churches. Other churches, many other churches, send funds every month to the Moore family who are members of our church in Botswana, Africa. Other churches cooperating together. Now, this may not um, really mean a lot to some people, but to me it means a great deal because if we're going to do something, let's try to do it as close to the Bible way as we can do it. And so that's what we're seeing here, them working together, churches supporting um, other, cooperating with other churches. Look, so you look in verse 2, it says, Upon the first day of the week, we're in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Upon the first day of the week... Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Now, the Bible here makes something very plain and clear to me, and that is this is a letter to the church, the church at Corinth. But when Paul writes the letter, he didn't say, I want the church of Corinth. He said, I want every one of you to be a part of this. Do you see that? Every, so this is for every, let every one of you, every church member, be a part of this special project. And that's, not, and that's not just something that is seen um, in this passage. It's seen in other passages. Again, I'm going to ask you to go to another text, but hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians 16. We'll be right back. Go to the right, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. First book to the right. 2 Corinthians. And here we have lengthy um, teaching about this very subject. Uh, we're getting a little bit of it in 1 Corinthians 16. And if, you, if you're really interested in this, I would encourage you, if you've never studied it out, to do this. Make a mental note or put a piece of paper here, write at 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, and go back and read those two chapters sometime. First Corinthians, or not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because both of these in chapters in their entirety deal with this subject. But let's, look, let's just look at a couple of kind of bullet points here. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse, uh, let's start reading. In verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So the more, the, the more you want to reap, the more you ought to sow. Works in agriculture as well as in obedience to God. Verse 7, every man, now notice that phrase, every man. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, this is not talking about giving your tithe. I mean, I think it's a, a foregone conclusion, Old Testament, New Testament, that the giving of our first fruits, the first part goes to God. The word tithe means ten. And Jesus never 
never removed that uh, instruction. He, he supported, as a matter of fact, in Matthew's gospel. This is talking about something over and above, a, a grace gift, a special offering. So is, every man according to the purpose of his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly of necessity. I mean, if a person was sitting here today and say, Oh, no, do you think God might want me to give something? That might be you. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver, right? God loves it when people are generous and cheerfully generous. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So here again, he's teaching the same concept, but I turn to it because of that every man in verse 7. Just as he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, every one of you. God wants all of us to pray about what we should do. And so what is faith promise giving? It's, It's churches like ours, and there are many of them. I mean, more than many more than we would ever know about. That's what I was doing up in Maine a couple of weeks ago. Teaching on the same subject, preaching on the same subject to a church who does the same thing that supports ministries like we do. So it's about churches taking the Great Commission seriously. And the missions conference is not just about money, but it's about raising our awareness, reminding us about the needs of people around the world. And by the way, If you were not able to attend the services, I'd encourage you to listen to those or view those because it was tremendous preaching. It'd be a real inspiration to you. It's not as good as being here, but it's better than getting nothing, right? So I I know some of you have already listened to those. It's about taking the gospel seriously. Jesus didn't just say, you know, if you can work it into your schedule or if you have a few bucks left over, you know, you might think about people in Ethiopia or people in China or people in... Vietnam or people wherever in India that are not hearing or Pakistan. No, he, he made it a priority. He said, we've got to make this important in what we're doing. And this is, one, this is our way of saying in a financial way to missionaries, we want to be a part, we want to partner with what you're doing. Listen, every person, I'm going to state the obvious, but every person should have the opportunity to hear the gospel. The gospel has changed our life. I mean, I... I've been uh, reminded anew this morning of what the gospel has done for me. It's changed my life. It's changed our family. And there are many places in the world where entire generations have lived and died and they've never once heard the gospel. Now, we can't, we can't take that lightly. We can't say, well, I'm, you know, we're, I'm in America, I've got it, if I've got it, that's good. No, other, everybody needs to hear that. This is the good, the gospel is good news. It's good news for them. Good news that Christ died for our sins. The good news is that the tomb is empty, like we were singing earlier. Imagine people in foreign countries who've never heard the story for the first time hearing that Jesus died for their sins and was buried and raised on the third day. And they can be forgiven of their sins and go to heaven when they die. Isn't that, don't, wouldn't you love for those people to hear that news? Well, this is a, our part of getting the message out. The saving grace of God. So we have the context. It was to the churches. We have the cause. It was a collection for spiritual needs in another place. 
And then let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16 as we look at the final part, the final point. Notice what he says in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Now I want to call your attention to that word order. You know, sometimes when you think of order, uh, you think of arrangement. You think of everything being in its place and being tidy and structured like your home always is, in order, right? Sometimes we think of order, we think of that. But this is not the word order. This is the order um, when Brother uh, John Clark here, who's uh, in reserves, when your commanding officer, the man in charge, tells you to do something, that's, that's not like, John, if you don't mind, if you have time, you think you could work this in, that's, that's not the way it's done, right? No, it's an order. That's the word that we find here. It's order. When, as I've given order to the churches, it's a command. Now you say, well, what right does Paul have to give commands to churches? Well, he was an apostle. He was ordained of God, sent to help establish these churches and give direction to these churches. And I'm not going to turn to this today, but there are two places in Acts, I think 23 and 24, where their, when their military people are giving orders and the very same word is used. Like a military giving a command. When Jesus sent the, uh, the disciples out in Matthew 11, he commanded his disciples. They understood that. And I want to I say this today because I think it's very important. Most of us, including myself from time to time, we, we look, look at some of the things that the Bible says and we take them like they're just strong suggestions or maybe optional responses. But these disciples, when Jesus said, this is what I command you, they understood that. And when these churches read this epistle, uh, the church at Corinth, they understood that this was an order. God was giving them a command. And I, I asked earlier, what right did Paul have to give them? Well, God gave him that authority. But let me, let me just bring it to a different level and, and present it in a different way. Does God have the right? Does God have the right to give orders or commands to his children? How many of you think God has the right to do that? Let me see your hand. Sure, he has the right to give us commands. Does God have the right to give orders or commands to churches? How many of you think he does? Most of us would agree with that. Yes, he does. He has the right to give us orders or to give us commands. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Again, orders are not suggestions. They're commands. And, he, and so as he's telling this church, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is what God wants you to do. And it has to do with this collection they were taking. Look what he says in verse 1 there. Now concerning the collection for the saints... Paul says, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. I want you to do the very same thing that I commanded them to do. And what were they to do? Look in verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him and store. That word store means set it aside, keep it for a special purpose. And again, this was not their tithe. This is a special offering. And I thank God for the faithfulness in the giving of the people of our church. And sometimes people think, well, I don't think you ought to 
talk about giving, but it doesn't hurt every once in a while to look what the Bible says about that important subject. Giving, think about this for a moment. Just, just say, well, I want to know what the Bible says about it. I'm going to give you a brief few examples. Giving has always been a part of worship. I mean, the first family, Adam and Eve, lived in the Garden of Eden. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. And one of the first things we read about in the Bible is that when Cain and Abel came of age, they brought an offering to the Lord. They brought an offering. It was a, it's part of our worship. People say, well, that was under the law. Abraham and the patriarchs. This was before Moses and the Mosaic law. They gave tithes. Why? Because God taught them to do that. It's a part of worship. In the days that they were building the tabernacle, people brought offerings. I was reading this verse in Psalms today. It says in Psalm 96, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His presence. It's a part of worship. And, you know, there was a day, even in our country, when people's offering might have been, you know, a dozen eggs or a chicken or whatever it might be. But it's, but it's, a, it's a historic type, a part of our worship. We give to the Lord. By the way, just so you know, we don't give offerings to God to earn His favor, to earn His uh, merit, His praise, or His, His acceptance so he'll, he'll take us to heaven. No, we give offerings to God as a part of our worship. We are worshiping God. It's a part of our obedience to give to God. And so this, this command had to do with giving, and it also had to do with this pattern of cooperation. Churches of like faith practicing uh, their worship their, together, and churches in Galatia, churches in Macedonia, churches in Achaia, all three of these regions, people are giving. It wasn't through a mission board. It wasn't through a cooperative program it wasn't through any organized fellowship it was independent autonomous baptist churches of like faith and order cooperating aren't you glad we do it god's way it is i never get tired of this it is so encouraging to me that we can participate in the way god would want us to do now i felt like it would be profitable i felt like it would be helpful to take the Sunday morning service as we've concluded our missions conference and say, this is how we do it. This is why we do it. We do it because the Bible prescribes it. And so what do we do as individual members? And if you're here today and you're not a, you're not a member, you're a guest, I'm not saying this to you so you'd give toward this, but this is our church family um, being challenged about what we're going to do to get the gospel around the world. It is such a blessing that people are hearing the gospel, have heard the gospel today in other parts of the world because our church gives to them. You say, well, what does our church give? We give according to what our members give, the people give. And this, if you have that, that little card that I gave you, that gives you a place on there. There's not a place on there for your name, but it's a place on you to say, I'm going to be committed not only to be faithful in my regular giving to the church, but I'm going to be committed to giving a certain portion, maybe every week, maybe every other week, maybe once a month, that the entirety of that will go toward missions or missionaries, the work of evangelism. And I don't know how many people in our church 
uh, commit to faith promise, but I know how many I think should. I think every one of us should to some level, to some measure. And, you know, we call it faith promise because it's something we give by faith. We call it a promise because we're making a commitment. As the Lord provides for us, that's what we're going to give. And you say, well, how old should a person be to give? We have children, grade school children, who give something on a regular basis. You know why? Because we need to, they need to learn. They got, by the way, they've got money, right? They can, get, they, can, they can go to the store. They can get these, you know, uh, school T-shirts, sweatshirts. They have a way of getting money. I don't know if they're robbing with who they're robbing, whatever. You might check your wallet every once in a while, moms. But anyway... You say, do you think, a, you think a young person could give to missions? I think a young person should give to missions. And by the way, it's up to moms and dads to teach their children to do that. Instruct your children. This is what we do. We, God's been good to us, right? God's given us the gospel. We want to give the gospel to others. We want other people to have the same opportunity. And so it's a blessing. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen? And what's it about? It's about the gospel. The people in this room who've truly been born again, who've been changed and saved by the grace of God, understand the importance of the gospel. It changes our life. The church didn't, I love the church, but the church didn't change my life. I went to church, I heard the gospel. The gospel changed my life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, we're not pushing religion, we're presenting a person, Jesus Christ. We, nobody, could, nobody could forgive us of our sins. Nobody could cleanse us from our sins. Only Jesus Christ. And we, we sang about it today and how meaningful it is that Christ came from heaven to this earth, born of a virgin, to go to the cross, to have those spikes, nails driven through his hands and give his life, poured out his life. You know why? Because the sacrifice that was necessary for me to be forgiven, no mortal could make that sacrifice. It had to be a divine, supernatural sacrifice. And Jesus died on the cross. God eternal died for us that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be cleansed. And the day that I personally came to the foot of the cross in humility and turned from my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ, he changed my life. I've never been the same. That doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I don't fail. It just means he's changed my life. Aren't you glad for that? No wonder we want to get the gospel out to other people. You see it in the news every day. This country's falling apart at the seams. And you know what it needs more than anything? It's not a red wave or a blue wave. What it needs is a wave of the gospel that changes people's lives. And maybe you're here today and you've never truly been saved. You've never received Christ. We're talking about what can we do as individuals and families to send the gospel to Africa or Australia or to Russia or South America? That's good. We need to.
But if you're here today and you're not saved, you're just as lost as those people are in some remote jungle somewhere. You need the gospel that changes your life. You ought to come to Christ today. If you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ today. He offers eternal life to all who will come to him. Amen? Thank God for that. You say, how do I do that? In just a moment, we're going to be singing, and I'm going to be standing here at the front. You may be thinking, that's what I need. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time. That's what I need. If you'll just, people are going to have their heads bowed. They'll be praying. The music will be playing. Just come out up here and say, preacher, I want that. I need that. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. It'd be a big step for some of you. You maybe say, well, I'd, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. Well, if you're, first of all, you don't need to be afraid. Just take a step and come and somebody will help you and pray with you. But if you won't do that, talk to someone afterwards. Say, would you pray with me and talk with me? And we can help you with that. Let's bow our heads together for prayer, all right? With our heads bowed today, If you're, if you're sitting here today listening and you come to this church often or maybe you come occasionally, whatever the case might be, but you don't know that you're going to heaven, you need Christ. You ought to come today. Come to Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to join the church to be saved, but you must come to Christ by faith to be saved. You must put your faith and trust in Him. Our Father, as we bow before you today, I want to thank you for the instruction you give to the churches concerning the work of God, how thankful we are for it. And Father, today as we pray, I am especially concerned today for not only people around the world that might need to be saved or that need the gospel, but people right here in our community, people around us, and people even in our building today that may need to be saved. Young people who've heard the gospel over and over but never really personally repented and believed on Jesus. God, I pray today that God, you'd work in hearts. Would you have your way in our hearts today?